This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with Robin Mob, Robert Love, and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob, Michael O'Brien. Good afternoon, Rob, because it is in fact the afternoon we're doing our podcast today. There you go. It's yes. still Buffy Tuesday, but it's the <laughs> afternoon. Yes, and uh, today we're joined by um, Andrew Bean, um, one of our listeners. Um, in fact, I believe it's Dr. Andrew Bean. That's correct, sir. That's correct. Um, he's going to be throwing us a couple of curly questions later, so um, say hello, Andrew. Hello, everybody. Hello. And this is going to be, I think, a very exciting episode, Michael, because um, 150 years ago this week, um, the Shenandoah arrived at Ponape, and my gosh... Some exciting things happened there. Some things were so exciting that um, Midshipman Mason had to write them in French. Ooh. Ooh la la. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. It is a very exciting week because, of course, just as things are getting exciting for the, the crew of the Shenandoah, things are winding down, shall we say, back stateside. Yeah, so, so, so we, we covered that in our, in our last episode uh, where we were talking to, uh, to our friend uh, Rick Mites. Rick and we, we really did have to split um, the, the early week of April into across two episodes because so much was happening uh, back in America in terms of the war ending and, and so much is happening in the Pacific in terms of the Shenandoah War very much continuing. Starting to hot up and get <laughs> exciting, yeah. So they've, uh, they arrived at Ponape, which is good because the previous chapter of... Mr. Whittle, the executive yes. officer's journal, was, was called Oh, the Monotony. And that was beginning to drag a bit. And yes. now, now we're not going to get monotonous. And as you say, Rob, one of the other officers actually had to resort to French at a couple of points in his journal. Which... Yes, yeah, we, we, haven't, we haven't quite... Well, well, we've used Google Translate, but we'll, we'll get on to that later. Um, so uh, on April the 1st, uh, the Shenandoah arrived at, at Ponape, and, and what did they find? Well, they'd been told, if you remember, as we spoke last week, that they'd come across a Hawaiian flagship that told them that there were some whalers in the, in the port there at Ponape. So they were very excited, made a beeline for Ponape. When they got there, yes, they could see that there were some whalers uh, in the port. They had the local pilot, I guess you could call him, come on board. He came out in a small uh, boat. And, uh, and he was called Jake Hardrock, I believe. Or, yes. Which, which I suspect is perhaps not the name he was born Thomas with. Harrock, he's called in other sources. Okay, okay. I prefer Jake Hardrock as well. He was an escaped convict. He was a British man who had escaped from uh, being a convict in Australia. Probably and Van Diemen's Land. And had lived in Ponape for some 13 or 17 years, married a local lady, and uh, had possibly joined the tribe. Okay, yes. And we'll get on to why um, that was probably not a popular option later. But he came on board and uh, guided them in and was actually threatened with death if oh. he uh, if he 
put them on a bank. And I think that's not really uh, threatening him with death because he's an enemy or something like that. I think they were so eager and keen to get at these Yankee ships, they didn't want to have any trouble arise you know, I've well, been threatening to kill the pilot. It's always a bad idea. Cause <laughs> you, don't, you don't want their hands shaking on the wheel as they guide you through the, through the treacherous reefs. So they arrive in the, in the harbour at Ponape. There are four ships there, four, four whaling ships, which is exactly what they're looking for. And it just so happened that the captains of all four ships were not there. Were they, were they off on shore leave? Or? They were off on shore leave, shall we say. Okay, well, yeah, this, this, this might be what Mr Midshipman Mason is talking about when we get to that. Now, now the, um, the, these four whalers, uh, they were the ships Edward Carey and Hector of New Bedford. Ooh. Yep. The bark Pearl of New London and the bark Harvest of Honolulu. Now, of course, um, the Harvest would not really have been um, considered an American an, an American ship because it was uh, from Hawaii, which at that time was not part of America. But they decided to condemn her anyway. Well, it, it was from Hawaii in the sense that the crew swore blind that the ship's ownership had been transferred to Hawaii, but uh, the Shenandoah officers decided all the, sh- the crew were Yankees. Yes. The ship was a New Bedford whaling ship, just like all of the others. And there was no bill of sale or documents. Or, or papers of any kind. Yes. So, yes. so the captains were off, as Mr Whittle describes, there were no captains on board as they were out at the Lee Harbour on a bust. Oh, and okay. <laughs> given that it says they came back singing... And calling boat ahoy and halloo and everything else, I think they were all uh, completely drunk when they came back. And went, oh, went... That, that, that would make for a very, very bad hangover coming back from a from a big night on Ponape and and your ship's been taken prisoner in in your absence. That that, that would not and all the cr- all your crew are in irons at this point as oh, well. Oh, that, that would not make for a good morning. So the burned ships didn't give them away? Oh, they hadn't no. burned them quite yet. No, 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 yes, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a whole lot of work to burn a ship. And in fact, Mr Midship and Maceman grumbles quite a bit about... Because the other thing is, Ponape has one of the highest rainfalls in the world. So <laughs> burning a ship in the middle of the pouring rain is, 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 is not an easy thing to do. So no, no, the, the ships had not been burned at this stage. Well, there's, uh, there's the one other thing you want to do before you burn the ship too, and that is... Um, pretty much steal anything that's not nailed yes. down in the ship first. Yes. And they then made a deal with the king of Ponape, who was like the, the, the leader of the uh, local indigenous people, and he came out in great state to visit the Shenandoah. And the officers of the Shenandoah all put on their dress uniforms and look very grand. And it's described that the uh, king and all his courtiers put on their dress uniforms as well, which I believe is slathering yourself with coconut yes. oil. Yeah, they, they, um, and they got coconut oil all over the deck. So, again, in, um, in the memoirs of Lieutenant Commanding uh, James Eridel Waddell... Hold that up to the microphone, I'll Rob, in the traditional fashion. right now. Um, I hope that's been really helpful to you in earlier episodes, Andrew, whenever we hold up one of the sources to the microphone, just so you, <laughs> you know that we have... A true feeling of authenticity. Yeah, yeah. We, we, it's not just a Foley effect. We are, in fact, holding, holding the book up. And riffling the pages. Um, so the, the, they took about 130 uh, whalers, whalers prisoner, and um, 
the the king. Uh, I believe there were, again, according to Waddell, who is perhaps no great expert, there are apparently five kings, and given Ponape is only uh, seven miles across, that's quite a lot of kings for, for rather a small island. Um, but on the other hand, um, this king was the king of the, the harbour in, in which they, uh, they had arrived. Um, now, uh, so uh, after the, the start of the state visit, now... Um, Waddell knew how to entertain a, a king. He gave him, him, him some schnapps, uh, which, which apparently went down, went down very, very well. Um, the conversation was opened by his majesty, who asked when the steamer would probably sail and what was to be done with our prisoners. He supposed that they would all be put to death, as he considered it right to make such, such disposition of one's enemies. I told him they would not be harmed and that in civilised warfare men destroyed those in armed resistance and paroled the unarmed. But, said His Majesty, war cannot be considered civilised and those who make war on an unoffending people are a bad people and do not deserve to live. So, there you go. Wow. That's, um, yes. So, so, but again, um, um, the, the King of Ponape, um shared that opinion with, um, with no, um, none other than, than Leo Tolstoy. Uh, Leo Tolstoy felt that basically... War was such an uncivilized business that there should be no rules in war, and and your enemies could could should should could should suffer instant death even upon surrender, and that way war would be so terrible that that people would not undertake it lightly. Yeah. So there you go. And the whole gallantry and prisoners, in fact, is putting a civilized gloss on what is in fact. Well, General an Sherman said war is hell, didn't he? Yes. He'd probably uh, agree in, in his, his own way too. Its glory is all moonshine, etc., um, etc., etc. Et yeah. So the king of uh, Ponape and uh, his, his courtiers were entertained on board the ship and they were very impressed at the size of the big guns and everything else. And they made a deal with Captain Waddell. And that is that the ships would actually be burned in the harbour so that they could get at the copper bottom of these ships. So pretty much after the uh, con- the Confederates had removed everything they wanted to remove from these ships, including thousands and thousands of dollars of whale oil, yep. uh, the natives were allowed to then just jump all over the, uh, the, the hulk that was left and steal anything else that wasn't nailed down before it was burned, and then they stole the copper as well. The other really interesting thing is you could actually say that based on the discussions that Waddell had with the king, the king of Ponape, or the, the state of Ponape, the kingdom of Ponape, whatever you want to call it, was possibly the only country in the world that actually entered into diplomatic recognition and, and relations with the Confederate States. <laughs> so there you go. I think that's a, a rather interesting observation. Now, I don't think they did this on Ponape, but it's worth mentioning. Ponape is now part of uh, the Federated States of Micronesia, uh, and that that has a number of islands on it. Uh, on a neighbouring island called Yap, that's famous for its stone money. Have you ever heard of the stone money? The stone money of Yap. That, that, that sounds like a um, uh, a horror story by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft it or something indeed. like that. Yeah. The largest um, are up to 12 feet or 4 metres in diameter. They're large donut-shaped carved discs. Yes. And because they're really valuable because they're really hard to move, okay, because they're really big, um, and they actually had to sail to distant islands, including possibly Ponape, because on Ponape there are these huge Cyclopean ruins. 
which we'll talk about in just a minute. Yes. The ruins of, I believe, Nan Madol. Yes. Which, again, sounds very HP like. It does, it does. Um, So getting these these gigantic um, donut-shaped carved discs back to Yat was a real challenge. And then, of course, you just leave them in a spot. So these, these huge pieces of stone money have laid in the same places for hundreds of years, but different people own them, and you can pass the ownership, and you go, I own that. So you don't just chip a bit off when no, you No, no, no. <laughs> and even, even, even cooler is, uh, there was one point when they were transporting a really big one back, um, and they, <laughs> they had an accident, and... The stone money sank to the bottom of the lagoon. Let me guess, that didn't matter. They just said, you own it. You yeah, know. yeah. So ownership of that particular bit of stone money is still passed on for hundreds of years later because everyone knows it's down there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And everyone agrees. So uh, this, this was going really, really well till 1874 when an Irish sea captain... Um, his Majesty O'Keefe, he was later immortalised as in a Burt Lancaster film. Okay. I think they made him an American in that. He he wanted to do some trading with them for copper and sea cucumbers, so he actually turned up in a ship full of these stones, <laughs> which led to an immediate devaluation, oh, as yes. you could understand. Yeah, that, 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 oh dear. And even though he came with even bigger ones... They're, of course, considered of less value than uh, the, the old school, old, old-fashioned old ones. So I, I think that's a really, a really oh, interesting there, thing. There's no, there's no stone money like old school stone <laughs> that's money. That's right. They don't want any of your, any of your Irish counterfeits. But, uh... Now, where they did the quarrying for this may have actually been at Ponape because Ponape has its own gigantic stone monoliths as well. And mm. this is at the ruins of Nan Madol, which is around on the other part of the island, and at one stage, some of the crew, uh, while they're busy offloading all the stuff from these four ships they're about to burn, went off and visited the ruins. Oh. Did, do you have any quotation? Did, did, did Mr Whittle go? Uh, it, it, it doesn't look like um, Mr Mason went, or at least um, he's, uh, he's not talking about it. Perhaps you should follow that up in a later episode. Look, we, we certainly will. I do believe Dr Lining was one of the officers to... Um, uh, to go to the ruins, and oh, okay. we're, we're hoping to uh, to get Doctor Lining's um, parts of Doctor Lining's journal um, uh, at a later date. Oh, okay, yeah, because all Whittle does say is some of the officers went windward to see the ruins, and obviously he didn't go because if he did, he would have written about them. Because from what I've seen of pictures of them, they're quite quite spectacular. They're sort of uh, Easter Island like in their own interesting way. Yeah, and in fact, it was it was surmised for, for, for many years, you know, because you know, in the nineteenth century, that they could not possibly have been built by by natives because you know they are too too impressive. And I believe it was surmised at some point that it was some lost sailors of Alexander the Great <laughs> that had managed to build these. Uh, can I say that that is a theory that has no current archaeological credence? <laughs> what a surprise! <laughs> but uh, but uh, and again, I, I believe they are about uh, you know, a, a thousand years old. So and, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and very impressive. But um, Mr. Mason is is not thinking about uh, the ruins. Um, this is Midshipman Mason, who I believe was a, a, a young man of about. 20 oh, we're getting on to the French bit. Uh, well, yes, yes. So this. this this is a quotation from his diary. Um, the natives here are rum-looking chaps, which is an interesting way of putting it, wearing no garments of any kind, but a belt with long grass, which hangs about the upper part of their legs, reaching nearly to their knees. With the exception of this garment, they are entirely naked. 
but this is more decent than the first island we went to where they were all entirely naked, a novel sight for civilised eyes. The women here are no more modest than the men. The only difference in their dress is that the women wear a garment of cloth made from the fibres of the banana. <clears throat> then he goes, Pour la vertue, il est nier pas, c'est d'un grand honneur que d'être la maîtresse d'un homme blanc. Now, um, my, uh, my, uh, my French goes back to Form 4 in um, 1980-something. Uh, but... Um, I can, uh, I can see, see no way that uh, that is not saying that it is a great honour to be the mistress of a, of a white man. I think we'll, we'll do a bit more. It goes on for another paragraph, I think very much about the, the lack of morals of, of the islanders. So we, we might um, get a more reliable translation. Things are going a bit mutiny on the bounty at this point, <laughs> aren't they? How many weeks did they spend at Ponopay? <laughs> um, about well, a week. No, no, yes. Uh, no, 12, actually, 12 days. 12 days, yes. Yeah. So uh, there's an interesting observation, though. Um, possibly being a visitor would be a, a great thing, as, as described there in French. Actually joining the tribe, maybe not, because one of the other sources I read said that um, the men's initiation to show that you joined as a member of the tribe, and perhaps Jake Hardrock or Thomas Harrock or whatever he was called had to do this if he was going to stay there 13 years and marry a local lady, was um, they actually surgically removed one testicle, and that's how you joined the tribe. And I can't imagine that that can't have been too pleasant. It might have well, even led someone to write in French afterwards. <laughs> well, at least they would have known that you really, really, really wanted to join, join the, the tribe. tribe. That's right. And maybe there'll be some more in French that we can discover later on uh, if, if, if indeed anyone did contemplate this operation, which I presume they didn't. Well, um, it was interesting because the, um, the uh, presentation that we saw at the conference by um, academic from the... University of Hawaii, Justin Vance. Justin Vance. Um, yes, um, look, we're still very much hoping to, uh, to, to interview Justin, so we don't want to steal all of his thunder. Uh, but um, one of the um, one of the the crew of the, in fact I think one of the captains of those uh, four whaling vessels who came back you know roaring drunk um, actually decided to stay in Ponape and and his descendants still live there to this day so so you know, it, was, it, was, it was an it was an important moment for for, for some people uh, in, in changed Ponape history <laughs> I wonder if he had the operation <laughs> well, no, no, I, I, I think he was living there as a as a Westerner, not as a... Uh, you know, he might have become the next pilot or something like that, but uh, we'll, we'll be able to follow that up uh, later. So they got about uh, well over $100,000 worth of loot from the ships that they captured in Ponape. Mr Whittle was actually very diligent in writing down how much they'd got from each of the ships. It was a total of $107,000... $107,759 worth of uh, loot taken out of the ships, the value of the prizes. And, uh, Andrew, I believe you had a question about the whale oil. Oh, well, I'm now wondering where they plan to sell it all, because, of course, they're burning just about every whaler they meet. Well, they're cornering the market in whale oil. <laughs> they think that the, 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 the oil that they are keeping will probably be worth a pretty penny once they're done. They're, they're... all effectively millionaires. <laughs> I, I would retire whilst I was ahead myself. Well, I mean, that is part of the idea of prize money. Yes. And uh, the crew that are on board this ship are 
doing it with the idea that they're going to get prize money, they don't think they're pirates. They think that they are fighting for a state and they, they deserve to get prize money as per uh, as tradition. For a, as for being a privateer. Yes, as, as opposed to being a pirate. And they still are for at least three or four weeks or perhaps longer. <laughs> yes. So in, in this very week, in fact, it was uh, last Tuesday, I believe, was the 150th anniversary of Appomattox Courthouse. And that's when, as you know, General Lee surrendered to, Gen- to General Grant. And that, that pretty much spelled the death knell of the Confederacy. And that was just about the exact time that our uh, Confederates arrived in Ponape thinking, wow, hey, we're going to strike a war-winning blow for the Confederacy. It's it's I, a bit sad. I, look, I'm sure they didn't believe that uh, sinking four ships was going to be a war-winning blow. But um, uh, there's a, another interesting comment by, by Mitchum Nason, and I have to say I'm, I'm very glad that um, we've got access to, I hope to see Barry Crompton, uh, to a couple mm-hmm. of volumes of, of Thank his, you very much, Barry. Of, 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 of his diaries. Um, once um, the Shenandoah had stripped the ships of everything that they wanted, then the natives were allowed to have what was left. And um, apparently, and Mason was, was, was not, not very happy with their technique for looting because the natives were so excited that they got into the hole and instead of taking the barrels of, of fish or whatever out, they broke up the barrels in the hold and then were left in a hold with a whole lot of pork or fish or meat. And Mason saying, this is not, this is not the way that you loot. <laughs> I think he's forgotten that by this stage, he's had six months of looting experience. And, and, well, this is the first time that the natives of Potipay have probably ever got to loot a Western ship. And I think it was a bit hard of Mason to, to be so critical. Yes, he was probably rolling his eyes going, amateurs. <laughs> yes. So um, now it was 150 years ago today that uh, the Shenandoah left left Ponape. Um, once, yep. once the arrangements had been made that the the prisoners would be would, would not be slaughtered out of hand. Once the uh, the king and the captain had had that uh, philosophical disquisition, and um, but one of the things that Waddell did do was um, he took. Uh, they confiscated about 20 muskets. Uh, 22 old prize muskets and an old sword, apparently. Uh, yes. Now, now, again, there were down-east muskets. And, again, we, we, we've got... Because there was a, a boat a while back that was a down-east Yankee boat. So I guess there must be some, some form of Yankee musket. But so he, Waddell had confiscated the, the whalers' muskets um, and give them to, to the natives so that the natives could then... That would have no fear of of the prisoners until other ships came to. And and the king got the old sword, and as uh, Whittle memorably writes, this last we made him buckle around his naked waist, the blade dangling about his legs, much to the injury of his shins. <laughs> well, I, I get if you, if you don't know how to wear a ceremonial sword, you, you don't know how to wear a ceremonial sword. And I believe in return, the king gave two chickens and some coconuts to Jefferson Davis. Oh, so uh, Captain Waddell was meant to take those back to give to to Jeff Davis, was yes. he? Oh, okay, very yeah. nice of him. Well, uh, yeah, Waddell seems to opine that, you know, that the king had no real idea quite how far away uh, the South was, but uh, yeah. So one of the last things they did um, was uh, they were moving all the all the stores and loot out of the other ships, and then and then burned them. I think the this was the eighth vessel that they'd managed to burn by this point, and they'd paroled one or two. Um, they did a little bit of small trade, which often happens with uh, with natives, and uh, tobacco, tobacco and liquor apparently. Tobacco were, were, and liquor, were, were, yeah, were very popular. Yes. 
Many officers went on shore and all had something pricked in their arms. Tattoos. Oh, tattoos. Okay. Yes, yeah. they oh. all they all came back with native tattoos. So I, I don't For sailors getting tattoos. Who'd have thunk it? Yes. So uh, I think they had a very very pleasant for them sojourn in Ponape. Yes, for the 130 Yankee prisoners, probably not so much. Probably not so much. It is interesting that if you remember in our previous episode, uh, we mentioned that Whittle was saying that um, the crew that originally signed on for six months, their terms were coming up at this point. And, and how many of them got off the boat at Ponape to, to live among well, the angry Yankee prisoners? That, that's an interesting question. I'm going to have to do a bit more research on this because he does mention here uh, in one entry that a number of crewmen's uh, terms had come up and one of them had reshipped for 12 months. He says the times of Simpson, Reed, Fox, Brosnan and Crawford expired. Brosnan reshipped for 12 months. So I'm not exactly sure what that means. Does that mean that uh, Simpson, Reed, Fox and Crawford stayed on Ponape? I'm not sure. We'll have to see if we can find that out. I, I imagine staying on Ponape, yeah, among with 130 prisoners who might at any moment escape probably wouldn't be the, the thing that you really want to Particularly do. when you've just pretty much taken $107,000 worth of their hard-earned whale oil and, 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 and burnt, other belongings. And burnt their ships to the and ground. And burnt their livelihoods, yeah. In a rainstorm. Um, yeah, you... You, on an island where you have to give up a testicle if you really want to if stay. You're, if you, well, if you want to join the tribe, yes, yeah. So I don't know. We'll have to we'll see, have to see if we can find that one out. But uh, definitely, um, he says here that only one of that those those crewmen named did actually reship. So so who knows? So so actually, the, the boats were in fact burned quite early because again, I've got a, a quotation here from from Mr. Mason, which I referred to earlier. I think. A day or two after our arrival, we burned three of the vessels, the Pearl, the Hector, and the Edward Carey. I was among a party of six or eight officers who volunteered to go and fire the Carey, and a wet, disagreeable time we had of it, for we had to ship cables, make sail, and run up on the reef before we could fire, and all this was done in a drenching rain. You know, I, I, I don't think the Yankees would have felt terribly sorry for the Confederates that they got thoroughly wet while trying to burn. No, I, I don't think so. So, Rob, in our next episode, we're going to be uh, hopefully talking to uh, Dr. Justin Vance from yep. the University of Hawaii, and he's a bit of an expert on some of the uh, native Hawaiians and other Pacific Islanders who fought in the American Civil War, yep. including some who were crew on board the Shenandoah. And, and also, um, the, the crews of the Shenandoah and, and the Civil War, in fact, had, had massive consequences for Hawaii, because Hawaii's economy was almost totally um, reliant on whaling before the Civil War, and in no great part due to the Shenandoah almost totally non-reliant on whaling after the Civil War because all of the ships had been sunk. So um, on, on the day that, um, on the, day that um, the Shenandoah left Ponape, uh, Midshipman Mason was, was on watch, and he must have had a bit of time to himself because he said... Yesterday passed by quickly enough for I was just finishing Nicholas Nickleby, which I read for the first time with all the enjoyment that it gives and the interest that it merits. I was so much pleased that I was sorry when I had finished it. Besides finishing this book, I read a little in my French book, Les Marines de la France and de Longueterre, 
which I think is the soldiers of France and England, but I'll take some advice on that. As opposed to the other French that's being written at this point. (laughs) (coughs) I had the pleasure of keeping the mid-watch last night with scales and horribly sleepy I was. Both of us were indeed. We sang French and English songs together and I repeated Poe's Raven and portions of Shakespeare and I don't know what all to keep us awake and barely succeeded in doing so after all. So he's obviously a young man with a literary turn of phrase. But I, I myself have not read Nicholas Nickleby, although, although I, I have read Barnaby Rudge. So, yeah. It is interesting that uh, he's engaging in these pursuits while presumably... Was it, who was it that was writing in French? Was that Mr Mason? That, that was Mr Mason again. That, that, that Mr. The Mr. same Mason. one? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking maybe he was... Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> while, while these ones are engaged in literary, literary pursuits and poetry on board, the others are off on shore getting tattoos no, no, and, I, I, and other things. I be- well, it was a, a habit of gentlemen of the time that when they were writing something in their diaries that they would perhaps not want a lady to read or to understand that they would write it in French. Or their mum. Or their mum, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, Andrew, before we wind up, do you have any last questions or observations? Well, two questions come to mind. Firstly, is this the most easterly part of their peregrinations in the Pacific? That's not clear to me from the map. And also, was the CSS Shenandoah the only member of the Confederate Pacific Fleet? Well, I think we can answer the first one, uh, because um, they were, um, uh, to, to slightly introduce some spoilers, they were on their way for a surprise visit to San Francisco um, when, when, when they found out that the war had in fact ended. Um, so, and that was, uh, San Francisco is considerably east of, of Pompeii. But as far as, um, I don't know, did, did the Alabama ever make it to the Pacific, Michael? I don't know. You know, that could be a very, very good question for our uh, expert guest in our next episode. Uh, if Justin Vance from the University of Hawaii can't answer that one, I don't know who can. So we'll we'll definitely put that one to him. Just on the uh, the easterly thing, they did a little bit of a uh, dog leg to the east heading up towards Ponapay. They got over to, uh, to about as far as where Fiji is. In fact, they went between Fiji and the New Hebrides, and then they headed back across towards where, back west towards where Ponapay is. But yes, Rob's right, they they did go quite a bit east, I guess you could say, because they were heading for San Francisco at one point. So their glory days are in fact ahead of them. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate that the glory days of the Confederacy as a whole are so completely over. But uh, yes, whoops. on the, on the, whoops. <laughs> but on that note, um, this has been another episode of Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the World with a Rob and Mob. And this week, Andrew Bean. I'm Rob. I'm Mob. And I was Andrew. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Andrew. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you very much. And tally ho. Ahoy. And Andrew, catchphrase, quick. No pressure. <laughs> Shiver me timbers. Well done. <laughs>